Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. As we look towards the Missions Conference next Sunday, I would like to speak on this subject this morning, and I hope that you'll give me a few minutes to lay out this subject. But I want to preach this morning on the subject, I am global. I am global. We understand that there's one church. There's one global church. And we are a part of the body. When you were born again, when you were repented of your sins and were water baptized in his name and filled with his spirit and you made that decision to serve Christ, you became a part of a larger body than just who sits here today at 11970 Ken Road. However, we also know that the Word of God exemplifies and calls for us to belong to a local expression of God's people. We are part of a larger body. We understand that this is a global church. But we also understand that the Bible gives us a clear picture that we are to be a part of a local expression. Everyone say local. As we stand at the threshold of 50 years as a local church, a question emerges through the opening of this doorway as we look out to the horizon of the next 50 years, should the Lord tarry. And the question that in my mind surfaces is what kind of church do we want to be in 2019 and beyond? What kind of church do we want to be? See, the New Testament gives over 30 examples of local churches. 30 examples. There's the church, churches, I should say, in Antioch. There's two different churches that are mentioned in the New Testament in Antioch. There's the church in Athens, a church in Babylon, a church in Berea, Colossae, Corinth, Crete. There's a church in Damascus, a church in Ephesus, a church in Iconium, a church in Jerusalem, a church in Joppa, a church in Laodicea, a church in Lystra and Philadelphia, a church in Rome, a church in Sardis, a church in Tarsus and Thessalonica and Troas. Besides these local churches that are mentioned, there are also six regional churches that are mentioned in the New Testament. There's the region of Phoenicia, the region of Samaria, the region of Judea and Galatia and Asia and Macedonia. And a couple of things to consider about these churches. Number one is that each church was known as a unique group of people. They're called out as a unique body. Number two, each church was marked by characteristics that were both commended and criticized by the apostles. Of the Thyatira church, Jesus said about this church, this local expression, he said, I know your works, your love your service, your faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. He's talking to them as a local body, a local expression. Of the church in Rome, Paul would say in Romans 1.8, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the world. That this local church was known for its incredible faith. There's a particular church in the New Testament that I find intriguing. It is the Apostle Paul who actually started this church. In Acts chapter 15, Paul and his companion Barnabas, they traveled a lot together and they decided that they uh, wanted to visit some churches that they had already started. But the Bible says in Acts 15 that they had a sharp disagreement. They disagreed because Barnabas wanted to take this guy, John Mark, 
with them on their journey to visit these churches. And Paul said, no, I'm not taking John Mark because the last time I took John Mark, he left us. He deserted us. And I'm not going to take him again. These two great men of faith, Barnabas and Paul, were so in uh, a disagreement that the Bible says they had to literally separate. It was such a big problem that they decided that it was better that they go their separate ways. So Barnabas decides that he's going to keep the original plan, and he's going to visit these churches that have already been started by he and Paul. And so he takes John Mark, and he begins to travel. Paul then selects this guy, this guy named Silas. And as they go, they decide they're going to go to some different places besides where Barnabas and John Mark are going. And the Bible says that they're led by the Spirit to go in another direction. And as they're traveling, Paul has this vision. He has a vision about a man in Macedonia. Now, remember, I told you Macedonia was a regional. It was a region. It wasn't a city. He has this vision of a man in Macedonia Macedonia, who wants to hear the gospel. And so Paul decides, you know what? I'm going to go where this vision is telling me I need to go. And so they go towards Macedonia. And when they finally arrive, they arrive in the city of Philippi. The city of Philippi, which was a main city in Macedonia, they arrive there and they're looking now to figure out what they're going to do. And they happen upon a group of women who were praying by a river. And these women were believers in God, but they hadn't quite experienced everything that God wanted for them. So Paul begins to talk to these women by the river. And he specifically talks to a woman named Lydia. Lydia is a seller. She, the Bible calls her a seller of purple clothing. And he, she responds to the message of the gospel. And the Bible says she and her household are baptized. It is here in Philippi, shortly thereafter, that, that Paul is trying to preach the gospel. He's trying to start a church and he comes across this slave girl who keeps following him and pestering him and, 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 and keeps crying out to him to the point that Paul is fed up and he casts the demon out of this slave girl. This slave girl was known in the town and had owners and she was able to tell fortunes and that's what the owners used her to do. They, they made money off of her and so Paul turned around and he cast the demon out of her. And when the demon of the, was cast out of the girl, she could no longer tell the fortunes and the owner's money begins to dry up and they are no longer making money from this slave girl and so they're upset. And so they go to the ruling parties and they say, we need Paul and Silas to be thrown in prison. And it's while they're in prison here in Philippi that they sing praises unto God. Some of you are familiar with that story. And there, there's this great earthquake that happens. They're chained to a wall, but it doesn't stop them from giving glory to God. They begin to sing praises. They begin to worship God. And the Bible says this great earthquake breaks all the shackles in the prison. And the prison guard was stunned. It was in pitch darkness, and he thought for sure that the earthquake had freed all the prisoners, and he knew his life was on the line, so he's going to commit suicide. But Paul cries out to him and tells him, no, 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 we're all here. And it's then that Paul preaches to this prison guard, and this prison guard responds to the gospel, and the Bible says his household and he were baptized. A prayer meeting at a river, a seller of purple, a slave girl, and a prison guard. This is how the church in Philippi begins. We all could probably relate to somebody in that story. It's kind of how churches start. 
It's not just the, the elite that start the church. It's not just those who have their act all together that become a part of the ecclesia, the church. It's, it, it's all kinds of makes and models that start a church. This is the background for the church Paul would then write to 13 years later in the book of Philippians. This church that started by a river, he now writes to this thriving church in Philippians. And in this book, we catch a glimpse of the DNA of this local church that had a global vision. He writes in Philippians 1 verse 3, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. He hearkens back to the time when he was there with them. He said, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. He said, just as it began on the river and just as it began when I cast the demon out, he who started that work in that jail cell is able to finish it. And he said, just as it is right for me to think of you all because I have you in my heart, in so much both in my chains... Now, Paul, when he's writing this to the Philippians, he himself is now chained. He himself is now a prisoner. And so he's writing, in so much as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. Why are they considered partakers with him? I submit they are partnered with Paul in the mission. They were a local church with a global vision. But what made them a church, a a church who was partaking in the mission of the gospel around the world? The first attribute we find is when Paul updates the church about his situation in Rome and his defense of the gospel. And he says in chapter 1, verse 19, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer. Through your prayer. Paul assumes and Paul acknowledges that he is not just doing this mission's work alone. He's not just going from place to place alone, but he's literally riding on the waves of the prayers of the church in Philippi. They were partakers with him because they were praying. They were not just praying for themselves. They were not just praying for their local expression. They weren't just praying for their own local revival. But they were praying for Paul, who was being sent from place to place. And Paul said, this is helping me. You are partnering me when you pray. Thus, the first part of the mission in this partnership is based on prayer. We, as a church, partner around the world in our prayers. I don't, I don't know how you feel about your prayers, but Paul made sure that the church knew that their prayers mattered. Every prayer you lift to God, every time you mention somebody's name, it's heard in heaven and it makes a difference. Every time you remember a missionary in prayer, every time you remember one of our missionaries who are overseas and you lift their name in prayer, you are helping to partner with the work and you can say, I am global. 
second attribute is found in the second chapter of Philippians when Paul admonishes them. He says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He can encourages them to not just consider their own needs, but to consider others just as Christ did for us. And then he continues and he makes this statement in chapter 2, verse 25. Yet I consider it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger. Everyone say, your messenger. And the one who ministered to my need. Aphrodite is from Philippi. He had left Philippi. He was sent by the church to go and literally help Paul. We would know and we would assume that his arrival would have been significant to Paul. You hear Paul say many times, I I needed help. I needed somebody to walk with me. And he calls him. He says that he is a my brother, he's my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier. Paul viewed uh, um, this great man with, with a lot of regard, and he viewed him as supporting the mission. That this great church in Philippi was partnered with the mission around the world in that they sent people to go. And not only did the church in Philippi pray, but they went. And a local church with a global vision goes. They go. They don't just sit here and hope that everything turns out around the world, but they go. They did not just support the work by praying, they supported by going. The final attribute of this local church with a global vision is found when Paul concludes his letter, and now pay attention to how Paul works through this. We've been talking about this passage, we've been working through this passage On Wednesday nights, we talked about this passage at the Thanksgiving service, but I want you to follow it. He says, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last... Your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Now that I speak in regard to need, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul walks them through. He's, he's in a, a jail cell and he's telling them he can go through any situation because of Christ. But how was he able to write these verses in a cell? I submit that he could say these things because he wasn't walking alone. Because when you read the next verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He says, nevertheless, I could make it on my own. I could try to survive and Christ would be there. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. I'm not in this prison cell alone. 
but you shared, you partnered with me to see the gospel realized around the world. And he says in verse 15, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. No, no one had given him any resources to travel. No one had given him any money so he could make his way through those countries. But it was this church started 13 years ago by a river that decided they were going to have more than a local vision. They were going to have a global vision. And if God had blessed them and God had empowered them and God had helped them, why not help the gospel be realized around the world? It was the mark of a church, a local church with a global vision. They were supporting Paul financially. And he says in verse 16, For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Everywhere I was going, you were trying to provide this help for me. This church in Philippi was marked because they were a generous church. They had done this for Paul on multiple occasions. Verse 17, he said, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Paul affirms to them that they were going to be blessed because they were giving to something beyond them. He said, you're going to have fruit that abounds towards you because of what you're doing for the gospel around the world. In verse 18, he says, indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. They sent Epaphroditus to Paul, but not just to support him, but it was how they were going to hand him resources. And so... Philippians 4.19, and I want you to hear me today. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That you're giving this to me, but I want you to understand, I'm not the only one going to be blessed here. God's going to supply all of your need according to his riches in glory. What, what characteristics of an amazing church? What a way to be known as a local body. Known because they prayed. Known because they went. Known because they gave. A local church with a global vision. A local church, just a small group of people making an impact around the world. So my question today is, what kind of church do we want to be? Do we just want to be a local expression known just locally? Or do we want to be a local church known with a global vision? This summer, on July 24th through the 26th, our pastoral team met and we wanted to seek God's direction and clarity as to what it was that God was asking of us as the Calvary Church as we look towards 2019 and beyond. Out of those three days of meetings, we affirmed our commitment to first the mission of our church, which we used to say making disciples, but we say it like this, the Calvary Church exists to help people find a growing relationship with Jesus Christ and live out his purposes. Second, we committed ourselves to be a church marked by a few things. The first value, we said we value the will of God at any cost. We value the Bible as the supreme authority. We value an inclusion, inclusive, compassionate community expressed by diversity. We value relevance pursued with excellence. And we value stewardship embodied in generosity. Each of these values are rooted in our DNA as a church. As well, they are our preferred future under God. 
I'm not going to take the time to dive into each of these values. Today, though, I am challenged to make sure that our church continues to be a local church with a global vision, that we do and we value stewardship embodied in generosity. Stewardship embodied in generosity. We value handling the resources God has entrusted us with wisdom as managers under God. We don't try, we're not trying to waste money. We try to be diligent about that. We try not to pursue things that have no value to the overall mission. We try to manage the resources in a way that's legal. We try to provide necessary parameters and safeguards for proper accounting of everything that is contributed. We want to be good stewards of the resources God has entrusted us as a body. But not only do we want to be good resources, we want the shell of stewardship to be wrapped in a heart of generosity. We want to seek God's heart in our stewardship. We want to feel God's passion within our stewardship. We want to know God's will in our wisdom of resources. I tell you today, we need to be a generous church. God wants us to be a generous church, a people propelled by the desire to see the gospel shared around the world. And when we consider the role of generosity within the DNA of our church, we realize that it was a part of who we were from the very beginning. The Calvary Church has always been marked as a generous church with a global vision. Our missions, vision, giving, participation goes back to the very first days of our existence. It was December of 1968, shortly after the first service, that the first special missions giving took center stage. It was then that missionaries James and Martha Burton went to the foreign field. It was then that the Calvary Church rallied. There was no global missions that was partnering with them. There was no partner in missions, but it was the Calvary Church who said, we've got a global vision and we want to see God's hand moved around the world. And so we were a generous church, even though we were small, even though we were just getting started, even though we had a building to pay for and trying to survive what was going on in the world. We said, you know what? We've got to have a global vision. And so we sent money. We sent money that first Christmas to them and supported them for decades. It was in 1992 that the newly installed pastor of the Calvary Church, Norman Pasley and Janine Pasley II, Pastor Pasley attended the foreign mission service at the General Conference in Indianapolis in 1992. It was in that service that the Lord spoke clearly to his heart about the role that a global vision and missions giving was to take in the Calvary Church's preferred future. At that time in 1992, the Calvary Church was located on Kemper Road, not far from here. Pastor Pasley declared with faith to the church that whatever it gave to missions during the quest for a new campus would come back to the church in certain terms and the church would not lose locally by investing in the kingdom globally. By 1997, the church, the Calvary Church, had once again outgrown its building. And anticipating another move, the Lord directed us to this prime piece of real estate on Ken Road, visible by thousands of cars every day on 275. The asking price for this property was 600000 This was a sum that Calvary could not meet and could not make. There was a housing developer who showed interest in the property. But miraculously, the city of Springdale ruled in favor of the Calvary Church. And Central Parkway Baptist Church, who owned the property, sold this property to the Calvary Church, not for $600,000, but for $240,000. Later calculations showed that the difference... 360000 was the exact amount that Calvary had given to missions from 1992 to 1997. That God will supply all your need according to the power that works in us. God had returned the missions money in the form of property. 
And when the Calvary Church purchased this Ken Road property, God gave the church back every penny in savings on the land and more. Since then, Calvary has continued to give, giving millions of dollars to global missions, and the blessing of God has been on the Calvary Church. In the last 16 years, our total missions investment has been over $2.3 million. There have been hundreds of missionaries sent from this church. There have been hundreds of missionaries we have supported from this church. There have been hundreds of church starters and missions projects that you have invested in because of your giving. We're just one local expression of the body of Christ, but we've had a global vision. So what's the 2019 version of the Calvary Church going to be? What's the 2019 version of the Calvary Church going to be? What will be our mission story in the next five years? What will our mission story be in the next 10 years, 25 years, should the Lord tarry? Will we remain a local church with a global vision? I would challenge and encourage us all today that we, the Calvary Church, are global. That God has called us to be global. And when I say we, I mean you and I. Each one of us then are required to think globally, to pray globally, to go globally if we can, but to give globally. See, what kind of church do we want to be? I I don't want to be known as a local church with a self-centered vision. I don't want to be known like the church of Laodicea that said that I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I I wish you were hot or cold, he said, but because you're lukewarm, you're neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and I have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. He said, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. I don't ever want to be marked like the Laodicean church who had a lot of money, who had a lot of resources, but chose to live self-centered. We've got to have a global vision kind of church do we want to be the church in Philippi was a local church with a global vision so much so that Paul told their story to inspire others you see it was 2nd Corinthians chapter 8 he told the church in Corinth this he said moreover brethren We make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia he's talking about the church in Philippi He said that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. That even though they were going through some stuff, they had this generosity about them. He's telling the Corinth church, listen, this is a great church to be marked by. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability. They were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Then in chapter 9, he said, now concerning the ministry to the saints, it is superfluous For us to write to you. For I know your willingness. About which I boast of you. To the Macedonians. That Acacia was ready a year ago. And your zeal. Has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren. Lest our boasting of you should be in vain. In this respect. That as I said you may be ready. Lest if some Macedonians. Come with me and find you unprepared. We do not mention you should be should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go ahead of time and to prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. He's challenging them to have a gift ready like the Macedonian church had. 
Watch what he says in verse 6. But I say this. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. He who sows sparingly, Paul says, will reap sparingly, but he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Romans 15, he speaks of this Macedonian church again. He says, For it pleased those from Macedonia and Acacia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. What kind of church will we be? Are we global? Are we global? It's time to do something to change the world. We have a message. And we have a mandate. And we have a mission. Now more than ever, we need to be the kind of church that speaks to this world. This organization was built of one foundation, and it was missions. Thank you for being global. Thank you, Pentecostalism is in fact the last hope of Christianity. World evangelism is not some obscure product. It is the major enterprise of the church. How can we get our missionaries out of deputation more quickly and back onto the field where God their hearts and their ministries are in a reasonable amount of time. So we unleashed a dream. I am global. And that dream has impacted 48 families, at least 48 fields who are right now back where God called them. The impact is redefining how we support our heroes, the missionaries of the UPCI. That dream changed the culture of the United Pentecostal Church that night and the face of the church of the world, and you did it. Your deputation is over. You're on your way back to the field. And I know God's got a life for me, got a place for me, got a hope for me, got a destiny. According to what we believe the Bible plan of salvation is, we are the only hope for lost souls. I'm glad to tell you, deputation's over. The Kennedys, another family that went back. They went back to Tahiti or French Polynesia. They went back and we had two new churches starting on those islands in the name of the Lord. Oh, to God, that I can show you the picture of a soul that is not baptized in Jesus' name. That is not repented of their sins. That is not spoken with tongues of the Spirit of God in the utterance. And that is not living a holy lifestyle. Oh, that I could show you the soul of that man tonight. We've got to reach our world with the gospel. I am Brother and Sister Robertson, you're on your way back to the Philippines in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, Gary and Christy Landau. You're on your way back. Hallelujah, go preach the word of God. We're becoming apostolic. We're becoming apostolic. Y'all are on your way back. Hallelujah. Money has been pledged to send you back. Brother Nomaki's here. We sent him and his wife back. I'm glad to tell you right now, we have four churches in the center of Paris. What kind of church are we going to be? Are we going to be known for 
Every time we give to missions, and I'm moving ahead now, we are partnering with God's work around the world. Every time you give an offering, it's not just some random thing you're giving. You're literally linking arms with God's mission around the world. You're helping missionaries get to their field faster. You're helping missionaries have vehicles. You're helping missionaries in the United States and you're helping plant churches in places like Chicago and Nashville and Los Angeles. You're helping local missions projects like Angel Wishes and Life Forward and Soul Ministry. Today, that investment in partnership with James and Martha Burton in 1968 has seen the work in Venezuela grow from hundreds to hundreds of thousands. That work that was started by just a Calvary church, a a small fledging church in Cincinnati, has helped now see hundreds of thousands of people respond to the gospel and is now being carried out by not just James and Martha Burton, but by Lonnie and Gail Burton. And not only Lonnie and Gail Burton, but their son, their son, their, their Martha Burton's grandson, Lonnie James and Damaris Burton. Your giving every month, your giving every week is moving the gospel around the world. Today, the Calvary Church is not only partnering with, but is also sending. And that's why Jonathan and Jenny Fulmer are on the missions field today. It was the Calvary Academy who brought Jenny Gerke into the Calvary Church. And it was at the Calvary Church that Jenny felt her call to missions and God began to move her. And now, Jonathan and Jenny Fulmer are looking to be missionaries in Sweden and are raising money and your giving is moving the gospel. It's your giving every month uh, that allows Trisha Ball in Japan to do a mighty work. Uh, who thought that Trisha Ball would pastor a church, but that's exactly what she's doing in Japan. She's leading a work. Why? Because the Calvary Church said, we're not just a local church. Uh, we're a local church with a global vision. It's not just Trisha Ball, but now in June of 2019, our great uh, members, our great saints, Mike and Julie McGahey, have decided, you know what, Uh, we're not just going to be generous givers, uh, which they are amazing generous givers, but they said God's got a hold of us uh, and we're going to go. And I don't want the Calvary Church uh, to sit back and say, let the McGahey's do it on their own. No, we're partnering with the McGahey's when they go to Costa Rica. It's the Calvary Church. That's going to Costa Rica. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you stand with me this morning? I want to be a local church. I want to be a local expression, but I want to have a global vision. That's what's made us a powerful church in the past. That's what's got us to here. That's literally what's got us to this building, this location today. But when I look around and I say, what's the next five years look like? What's the next 10 years look like? I tell you, I want the Calvary Church to be an even greater global missions giving church. Oh, hallelujah. So it requires us. It requires us to grab a global vision. It requires us to say, what can I do for the gospel around the world? The first thing to make room for generosity in your life. Hear me now as I'm, I'm coming to a close. We're going to take up some pledges today in just a moment. The first thing to be a generous church is we've got to put God first in our finances. You got to put God first in your finances. In order to, to really allow generosity to flow, you got to make God a priority with your finances. You got to carve out what's necessary, what God expects, and what God wants from our life. And when you begin to put God first in your tithes and in your offerings, You're going to see, as Paul said, that God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory. That God is going to make up the difference. I I believe it. I've seen it too much. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in the people around me. I've seen it in the stories in this room. You think that you're losing when you're giving. But really, you're opening up the door. For God's blessing 
and God's measure of provision in your life. And so we put God first in our finances. The second way that we're generous is we live within our means. See, we live in an American culture that allows us to live outside of our means. And so we find ourselves in debt. We would love to give to missions, but we've got all this stuff. We've got all this debt that holds us back. All these toys that we have. Our heart goes out to the missionary. Our heart wants to be generous, but we've got too much stuff. And so in order to be generous, you have to live within your means. You have to get out of debt. And it's out of this decision to put God's fir- God first, to live within your means, that you and I can be a generous church. We're stewards, we're good stewards, but that stewardship is wrapped in a code of generosity, a heart for missions around the world. This altar call today, I want our ushers to come and put the baskets there and if you do not have one of these cards I want you to lift your hand I want you to lift your hand we want to take a moment here it's a moment of faith for us this altar call is not just about you and your family and your needs today this altar call is about seeing how we can be like the Philippi church a church that prays a church that goes thank you Martha Burton for going Thank you, Stephanie Benz, for going. Thank you, Sarah Varnum, for going. Thank you, Megan Kloss, for going. Thank you, Trisha Ball, for going. Thank you, Jonathan and Jenny Fulmer, for going. Thank you, every young person who's been on an AYC trip. Thank you for going. You've lifted the missionaries, literally lifted their spirits. We took an AYC trip to Athens, Greece, and the missionary was so thankful just to have somebody to talk to, somebody who he could just have a normal American conversation with. It just lifted his spirits. And you think it's not a big deal. I'm telling you, we've got to go. If you're able to go, go. But if you're not able to go, give. Give like you're going. Give like it's your child that's lost. Give like it's your family that's desperate for salvation. Be generous. Be generous. I know the Lord's going to take care of us with the Bishop Center. I'm already watching, and Anthony and I are watching every week how God is providing miracles for the Bishop Center. I'm telling you, that's going to be okay. And this is a dangerous thing for me to say. Delano's real nervous right now. But I'm telling you, if you can only give to one thing, missions or the promise project, give to missions. Give to missions. Give to something that is beyond you. Give to something that doesn't touch you. Because it's that global generosity that God responds to and says, I'll take care of you. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, I pray right now for our hearts. I, God, we stand today as a congregation on the shoulders of so many who have gone before us. A great cloud of witnesses who made a global vision their priority. God, I thank you for the history of the Calvary Church. I thank you for the history of giving, the history God, that we find ourselves living among. But Lord, I'm praying that you would call this generation, you would call this generation to a global vision, just as you did our parents and our grandparents in this church. God, call us as the 2019 version of the Calvary Church. Call us to a global vision. I pray against fear. I pray against things that would keep us from being generous. I pray we would not give under obligation, but there would be a heart that reaches for your gospel around the world. I'm praying, oh God. I'm praying, oh God. Give us courage to put you first in our finances. Uh, Give us courage uh, and the ability to say no to some things in our life uh, so that we're not encumbered with the cares of this life. So we're not encumbered with debt uh, so we can be a generous church. God, I don't want to be the Laodicean church who had lots of money. 
but had nothing to show for it. Nothing to show for it as way as the gospel. Lord, call us today. Call us afresh to your mission around the world. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I'm just going to invite you to come. I, I'm not trying to be dramatic, but I, ju I just want to give you an opportunity to put your faith into action right now and just come before this altar and say, God, I'm going to do something. I've got to do something to see your gospel. We've got to be a church. I want you to come. I want you to come and give. If you don't have it filled out and you're not sure what you're able to do, just come and talk to the Lord and say, God, open my eyes to what's possible. Give me courage for what's possible. Oh God, let it be done today. Let it be done today. Would you come? I want everybody to come. Even if you don't have a card, I want you to come and I want you to pray for missions. I want you to pray for one of these missionaries I listed. Come and pray and seek God's face on behalf of global evangelism around the world. I want you to come. I want you to come. Oh, God, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you're doing among us. Thank you for the Bishop Center. Thank you for providing more resources for us, Lord. But we trust you today. We're going to say yes to you today. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It's a step of faith today. It's a step of faith today. It's a step of faith today. I am global. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.